When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Arianthe, and I'm chatting with Jay Scott on The Rocks. Welcome back. It's Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you stopping by. We've got a very special episode for you tonight. As I always, though, mention, got to run through my list of credits here before we begin. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can find my friends, as I always mention, Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast. Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. The boys over at Decibel Geek. Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on Hanging and Banging. Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ. Martin Popoff, the rock historian. And many more are all found on PantheonPodcast.com. You can search them on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. You can also search The Hook Rocks on those same three platforms, at The Hook Rocks, as well as any podcast platform that you utilize. Amazon, Apple, Spotify, we're on every platform. And don't forget to set whatever app you have to automatic download so you get the new episode right to your phone and you're able to listen to the 400-plus previous episodes we've recorded. There's something for everybody, new music, legacy artists, some music commentary on the business side. So I uh, hope you enjoy, hope you dive in and dig in. And don't forget to write us a review if you uh, if you get a chance. Send us a kind word. We've had some great episodes recently on the podcast. We just did a new music spotlight with Matt Gabs from Ravagers. We had Dorothy's guitar player, who's also in Faster Pussycat, and his band Butterside, Sam Bam Colton. Great, interesting story there. We welcome back Rob at Skylab Tapes about building a home recording studio in 2022. He always brings it very well researched, very well presented. Uh, Check out that episode and his previous episodes that we've done. A couple more new music spotlights with Bourbon House and Ignescent, the metal band out of Chicago. Also did a Thunder Mother concert review from the Chicago concert with the Scorpions. Tyler Bryant, great interview. Tuck Smith, great interview. And we also aired The Producers, which is a new series that we're doing once a quarter. And our first guest was Paul Moak who has a studio out in Nashville. He was fantastic. I got to talk to him about his approach and my favorite album so far in 2022, Goodbye Junes, 
see where the night goes. The next guest we have today is a uh, welcome return to the Hook Rocks podcast. Always enjoy the conversations. We typically talk about new music and new bands and what we're listening to. But this one's a little different because it's the anniversary of Eddie Van Halen's passing in 2020. It's a two-year anniversary. And as we did last year with Greg Renoff, the author of Van Halen Rising, and also his book with Ted Templeman, we're going to talk Eddie Van Halen. We're going to talk as we move farther away from that moment when he did pass about his legacy, about his music. The guest is Matt Wake. And uh, welcome aboard, man. How are you? Hey, Jay. Good to be here. And uh, man, you're doing a lot of cool stuff lately. And uh, um, Sam Bam and uh, all that stuff. Thank you, man. Thank you. You know, it's it's uh, it's enjoyable. I love talking music. And, you know, as you well, you know, you're now the, one of the new writers for Metal Edge, which for those listening that kind of grew up in my era, that is a magazine that was present on every grocery store. Uh, magazine shelf or every newsstand magazine shelf and uh that was always a great read as you thumb through that and hip raider and circus magazine uh that was one of the staples and it's great to see a resurgence in that and it's great to see you writing for him well yeah i'm having fun with it and uh it's it's fun to do definitely uh Stuff like uh talked with Blackie Lawless, that was really fun. We've uh run part one of that. We've got a second part coming. And man, what a cool guy to talk with. Uh thinker as well as, you know, real pioneer. You know, Nikki Six has owned up to the fact that he took a lot from um Blackie Lawless, particularly, you know, uh, Blackie's uh, pre-wasp and sister. But um some of the other cool things that we've got to do there, or I've got something with Lita Ford coming out soon for Metal Edge. Um, we've talked with uh, Michael Monroe from Hanoi Rocks. Uh, got to write uh, a little think, think piece, as they say, an almost famous or two. And uh, um, just had a piece on the Ronnie James Dio documentary. Have you seen that, Jay? I was supposed to go this past Sunday to see it. And I was unable to, and I'm disappointed because everyone I've talked to has said that it's one of the best, if not the best rock documentary, one of the best documentaries they've ever seen. And I really look forward to, is it going to be released on Netflix at all? Yeah, I think streaming is a part of the plan and, you know, for sure, eventually they'll do the DVD Blu-ray thing. It'll definitely be on streaming. I think it'll really blow up once it gets on streaming. It's a cool story, well told. You know, Ronnie had a, a kind of a roller coaster thing where Rainbow with Richie Blackmore, but it never quite makes it in the States. Sabbath, you know, uh, when he replaces Ozzy, but they only did like two studio albums at first and before it went, you know, kind of sideways. And then, you know, he was like in his early forties on that first Dio record. Yeah. You know, in this, uh, I guess 83, 84 era of like all these young contenders, like we already talked about Motley Crue, but think bands like that. And finally with his, he has his name on a multi-platinum band and, uh, they have a successful run. And then a thing that I think is so brilliant about this film, Jay, is it touches on, you know, grunge didn't just topple like the pretty young boys. Like even 
Iron Maiden, even Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, you know, who Ronnie reunited with for the Dehumanizer record in 91, which is, or 92, much better than I gave it credit for back then. Now I really like it, but they all got pushed out too. Like, I mean, that's amazing. And, um, but you know, he like he ends up playing the clubs again. And there's this incredible footage of him like singing, I don't know if it's Rainbow in the Dark or The Last in Line. Like, and when he announces, and there's like the smattering, it's like, you know, the typical bar sound of like seven people applauding and like, and he put, and he proceeds to just annihilate last in line. Like he's playing the, the spectrum in Philadelphia or something. Wow. Arena. And, uh, you know, he eventually reunites with Sabbath doing big rooms again. And we, you know, the rest of the story isn't as happy, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely want to check it out. I mean, I still remember seeing rainbow in the dark, you know, that, that, that video. And I still remember being at a neighbor's house and the older brother played Mob Rules, mm. which was just absolutely fantastic. But yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, we're going to talk about Eddie here in a bit, but along the same lines with Ronnie, you know, the world is a, is a less brighter place without Ronnie James Dio, you know, and, and it's sad that, you know, his career ended, his life ended the way it did, you know, with cancer. Um, it's just a, it's a it's a tragic tale, but just thankful for the music that he was able to give us over four decades. You know, it's um, it's fantastic. Yeah, and like to kind of uh, go into the uh, Edward Van Halen thing, I remember I had someone close to the Van Halen camp who a while before he passed told me he's about to pass. So for work, I started writing his obituary. And if you've ever written an obituary for someone, I never got to interview Eddie Van Halen. I've got to interview a lot of my people. I grew up idolizing like Slash and Tracy Guns and Nikki Six and a lot of these people. But like uh writing an obituary for someone who has made you as happy as Eddie Van Halen has made you before he's even dead. Yeah, I was literally like, you know, crying. Like, um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's the effect Eddie Van Halen, his brilliant playing, his, you know, smiling spirit, how much fun Van Halen, like, look, I like some dark music too, but you didn't listen to Van Halen to get bluesed out about, you know, life, you listen to it, have an awesome Friday night or, you know, driving in your car uh, on the way home from school and your psyched school's out for the day or, you know, going to pick up a, a date you're excited about. Like, I mean, when Eddie died, it was almost like fun died. I had a conversation with someone just a couple days ago and we were talking about music and fun music and a lot of people I, I know who have young kids who experienced the pandemic as we all did would say 
how much this is impacting their kids in a negative way. And that's all true, right? That's everything. Because my son experienced it too. And I saw him go through it, right? You know, kids, especially are social beings and being in lockdown and all that's difficult for them to understand. And it's difficult for them to really comprehend, you know, especially because the brain doesn't develop for kids till they're like in their early twenties. So it's a very big challenge for them at a very young age. And I remember I said one time to a friend of mine who has kids, I go, have you tried just putting on a Van Halen album at home? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you ever in a bad mood when you listen to Van Halen? And she's like, I may try that. I'm like, yeah, it's fun. It's got everything going. And like, if they don't resonate, put on some YouTube videos of them and everything. And, you know, I think that was such a part of their, their, their legacy was, especially with Eddie smiling, you know, this, this, this shitty grin on his face, he was just excited to be up there and play and show you what he could do and see the reaction of, of the crowd. You know, I would think of that eruption video from the live without a net that's on YouTube. And I literally listen to that once a week. I watch it once a week because it still mesmerizes me and he's playing these notes and he's just playing it. And he looks at the crowd, like, do you see that? Now watch this, you know, like he would, he still had that little kid inside of him that he still was like impressed with what he was doing. Cause how could you not? I mean, like he's doing things that no one could ever imagine. But like you said, it was fun. It defined the party back then. It was the party back then. I mean, the band started as this big party rock band in Southern California in Pasadena, where they had thousands of kids in these backyards, and the parties had to be broken up by helicopters, police helicopters. Imagine that. That is insane. So, yeah, you know, Eddie's been gone for... For two years, and similar to you, I had a friend call me probably end of 2019, early 2020, and said, Eddie's really sick. It's not going to be much longer. So prepare yourself. And I kept that in the back of my mind, and I thought I was prepared. But when my son came in the living room, and he goes, Dad, Eddie Van Halen died. I said, you better not be joking. He's like, I'm not. I actually started to cry because yeah. he was such a part of my my me growing up. He was a fabric of my youth. He was just everything. And, and everything centered around Van Halen. You think of those bands from the 80s, the one band that didn't to, you know, subject themselves to any trend that was above all the hair and all the glam was Van Halen. Uh, perfectly said, Jay. And you know what? Now, that band was full of very good musicians and songwriters, but you know what? There's a reason why they were able to under uh, endure the loss of a very charismatic uh, front man who wrote great lyrics and people loved and was such a star, David Lee Roth. And yeah, Sammy Hagar was a it, still a very good rock singer and uh, a sharp songwriter it, who was all already very seasoned, had been a star, uh, didn't get melted by the spotlight of, of Van Halen. But if there's a lesser guitar player, you know, it's uh, like I think there's a reason that, you know, you think, OK, 
ACDC with uh, Brian Johnson taking over for Bon Scott. It helps that you've got the, uh, you know, Angus Young, you know, just uh, and a similar kind of um, childlike uh, exuberance mm-hmm. and fun. And um, I think that I think that's, you know, you look at these bands that have um, been endured, have endured uh, a huge uh, shift there at replacement singer, singer and been really successful with it. Um, I mean, it's because of Eddie Van Halen, because the cool thing about uh, and people think there was a time when I think and because of ubiquity of the everyone copying the two hand tapping soloing style of Eddie Van Halen's, but his playing was always so much more than that. Like if you think of like, even going back to the first album, you know, just the sound that just like searing uh, sound of his guitar, the way that, you know, they in Ted Templeman, the producer, you know, helping him kind of, uh, get that on tape, of course, but like I'll point out the electric, uh, sitar to double the solo on ain't talking about love. What a, what a cool sound. Um, one of my favorite early Van Halen songs is atomic punk and just that crazy, like kind of percussive thing he's doing and, um, the spirit of that solo. And then like Jamie's crying. I mean, the pop in that song and the pop and the sing and the dance in his solo or something like how about the rumba of Alex Van Halen's drum in the beginning of Jamie's crying? I mean, incredible. And you know, that is why, you know, males and females liked Van Halen a lot. I know that was true of, of, of some other bands from that era, but like, you, you know, I mean, it was something that people, they listened to to have fun. And that was a, as Roth has said in like one of his talking head documentary appearances, it was a great time to be alive. And Van Halen was a great band to listen to during a great time to be alive. That is for sure. Well, I've mentioned this before in conversations with Van Halen. They were, they were a band, but they were more than that. They were, they were part of pop culture. Yeah. You know, you think of them being mentioned in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You think of the movie Better Off Dead. You think of yeah. the future. Yeah. You think of Eddie being on Saturday Night Live. He, um, it was David Letterman when he was on Letterman doing, you know, when they were kind of going through a transition. Think of him being on Billy Jean with Michael Jackson. Or I'm sorry, Beat It um, with Michael Jackson. I mean, that's that's incredible. I think that in itself propel them to even further their superstardom and here's this rock god guitar player on the king of pop you know his the big huge album and to have thriller be number one in 1984 number two on the billboard charts and eddie being on both those albums i i just that one that's never happened and that's never going to happen again uh, that definitely helped them cross over Van Halen even further into pop. And, um, you know, he was the perfect guitar, um, uh, ringer for MJ to use because of his, not only could he burn and bring that rock sound and that, uh, technique that was at the vanguard, you know, um, the bleeding edge, 
but he had such a pop sensibility. I mean, the, the, um, isolated track of the, um, beat it solo. I mean, it's a composition in itself. Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, and it's funny because, you know, the whole reason uh, that, that I've read somewhere where, uh, you know, my, it was like an arms race with Prince. Well, Prince could play the hell of a guitar, but Jackson couldn't. So I, that kind of was his arms race up in the ante with Prince, who had had all the great uh, guitar tracks on his own thing. Well, okay, I'll get the best guitar player walking to earth to play on my track. And let's, let's see uh, who's on top then. But, um, you know, and it's funny people are always like um i think what made van halen great is a thing that's you know the next rock young rock band that crosses over into popular culture in a huge way in pop charts uh they'll have a pop sensibility like van halen did you know i love the story behind the whole beat it session where quincy jones is trying to get a hold of eddie and he, Eddie picks up the phone and hangs up on him because he thinks it's a prank call. So Eddie goes down to the studio and he's listening to what Michael and Quincy want out of a song. And then they go to lunch and Eddie rearranges the whole song, cuts the demo for it. They come back and he's like, it's done. Here it is. And they're both blown away by what he was able to do in a span of a couple hours. And as he's leaving the studio, Quincy's like, well, you got to sign some papers so you get paid. And as the the legend says, he goes, eh, don't worry about it. Just send me two cases of Heineken. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, he was, I mean, obviously he was a millionaire, but can you imagine if he got paid on that too as well? I mean, but that just showed who Eddie was. Eddie was just the, you know, he was always about the music first and getting paid secondary he wanted to he wanted to, to explore different things and do different things steve lukather talks about in his book that you know outside of toto he would do studio sessions for different artists throughout the 80s you know like barbara streisand neil diamonds a lot of you know these acts that were adult contemporary back then and eddie would just come with them to these studios and there are songs that Eddie doesn't get credited for because he didn't want to be put on the record that he plays the solo Wow! in some of these tracks. And who knows what songs they are, but to to just hear that, hear that story is, um, is tremendous. It's just, again, part of his legend. And you hit on something, Jay, I want to follow up on there. When you're talking about him rearranging you know, beat it, uh, you know, to do his solo over it. Um, that song, Eddie Van Halen, he was probably the most relatable of the guitar virtuosos. Cause you think of, I love Jimmy Page, but he's like this wizard who lives, uh, in, uh, like a castle Crowley's house with a moat, you know, like, and Hendrix is like this gypsy electric gypsy from outer space. You know, and but uh, Eddie Van Halen's the guy who can fix his own car. You know, he he works on his own guitar. You know, Paige, I guarantee you, sends his guitar off to be worked on. Yes. But like Eddie Van Halen's is like the guy who's like, oh, I can make my uh, 
you know, my Mazda sports coupe run faster if I do this under the hood. And, yes. Um, but I mean, he, and so he's relatable. And even though he's up there with, um, you know, the, uh, he obviously looked like a rock star. He was by far the most relatable of, you know, and, you know, Slash, I think is someone who comes, a, uh, is kind of relatable too. But Eddie Van Halen, I mean, he, he, he could be your neighbor. Well, I think of that picture that Wolfgang posted shortly after his passing. I think I think it was Wolfgang that posted it. It was Eddie in his garage working on a guitar on a on a you know on a bench. You know, Incredible. he had tools out and he was sitting there and he, you see the solder, you know, th- you know, soldering pen or whatever it's called. And you know, he was like you said, you know, he was Oh, it doesn't sound right. I got to fix this. I got to, you know, it's like that guy who owns that muscle car who's always tinkering with it, right? Everybody knows that neighbor who's got that car under a, a sheet and it, you never, <laughs> see it, but it's because it's always being worked on. And then he takes it out one day in the summer, like Memorial Day weekend, and then it goes right back under the sheet, you know? So it's like, that's like you mean, like his relatability to the fan. Um and there's also been stories, too, about his relatability to other guitar players. Chris Holmes from Wasp, as we were talking before we we got on this uh, conversation, talks about him being in the hospital for whatever reason. I think it was because he got in a fight or something like that. Or he got in a car accident or a motorcycle accident. And Eddie going to visit him in the hospital and saying, hey, I need your guitar. I'm recording you know, some songs on an album. And Chris is like, yeah, here's my number. Call my mother. Let her know you're going to stop by. This is for the woman and children first album. He's already put out two gigantic records and he's calling this lady. Say, Hey, I need to borrow your son's guitar. Amazing. That just blows my mind. That's just absolutely incredible because, but he knew Chris had this tone on this guitar that Eddie wanted. And Eddie, of course, probably tinkered with it, but you know, that's what, what do they call that guitar on the women and children first? It's the, um, Oh God, I can't think of the name. It's not right. the shark, is it? It's the, I think it's the shark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was Chris Holmes's guitar. And you know what? If that was so many other guitar gods, what they would do is they'd find what kind of guitar Chris Holmes had, what year it is, and then go have their, uh, guitar tech buy five of those guitars of right. that year of that model. Right. I mean, right. but yeah. you know, he's the guy who goes, can I borrow your wrench? Yes. Gotta, yes. You know, yes. Yes, uh, and and when you hear Stephen Piercy talk about when he first saw Van Halen and he became friends with him, you know, yeah. he remembers Eddie calling him up to, hey, you know, uh, I need some more gear for this show tonight. Can you bring some of your stuff down to the whiskey or stuff down to the troubadour or wherever? I mean, I mean, again, this is a guitar god who's just like the guy with the greasy T-shirt in the garage, you know, going over the neighbor's house and, and he, like, I need a wrench or I need, you know, this, I needed that. I'm missing a screwdriver or something like that. Um, yeah, those, those stories fascinate me because it's this God that walked among us, just a normal dude at the end of the day. You know, I'm sure he had an ego like all rock stars have, but sure. I think it was a different type of ego. I, Nuno Betancourt talks about when he was very young in his career, Eddie went and saw them play live. And Eddie's like, you got to sound like you. Don't try to sound like me. You know, find your own sound. And it wasn't like he was mad. It was like a more of a mentor type of conversation. 
with him. Dweezil Zappa talks about him coming over to his house to give him a guitar lesson. This is Eddie Van Halen. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think a lot of that humility probably is from the family's humble roots coming over with like a piano and 50 bucks or whatever it was. It's something crazy minimal like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the tight, <clears throat> the tightness, uh, tightness, family he came up with and you know they had family strife like a lot of um families do but um i think that has something to do with it and uh i think something also different about eddie van halen is you know we all love his guitar playing so much and his songwriting his performance but then you think of like okay here's a, a guy who's the master of his instrument every dude thinks he's the coolest dude and, you know, a lot of girls, he's got married to a beautiful, talented uh, TV star. And then all of a sudden he decides, OK, I'm going to start playing the keyboards. <laughs> and obviously he played them growing up, you know, piano and stuff. But like, and but the synthesizer, you know, and I know there are some, you know, sort of ultra raucous who are like, I don't like any keyboards. I'm not one of those people. I like some cool keyboards in you listen back to those keyboards, particularly like, um, you know, jump, it served a purpose, but there are other songs like I'll wait, you know, the keyboard on that, that analog synthesizer is real cool. And then you get into the 5150 stuff or even some of the, OU812 things where I think he's even just playing a hymn and organ on one of those, uh, great OU1812 uh, OU812 songs. And, um, the ability to like add that texture to uh, a band who had, you know, done such a spectrum with guitar rock. I mean, that gave, you know, as much as we love the chest beating Tarzan rock of Van Halen, that gave them a whole other band with a whole other spectrum, whole new set of legs um, and probably, you know, additional audiences. Um, and also, it helped, you know, when they had that lead singer seismic change uh, with Hagar. That worked with his style great. I think we got hints of that through Diver Down, because there were some elements of keyboards on Diver Down. Yeah. And I know Roth was not happy with the direction they went with in 1984. And I know... That 5150 probably doesn't get made in the way it was made if Roth is still in the band. So even though we know the history of them not getting along, I think it was necessary with the direction that Eddie wanted to go in. And I know there's a lot of fans that blame, that blame Sammy Hagar for that direction, but it was Eddie who wanted to do that. It wasn't Sammy. It was Eddie that wanted to move that band in that direction because he had been hinting at it you know, for the last previous couple previous albums prior to that. Also, he has that background in classical piano. I mean, the stories have been told about his mother slapping his hands when he's playing piano. Him and Alex joining these recitals and winning these recitals because they were excellent, excellent piano players, which I also think that it helps him with the way he developed his style of guitar, the fact that he was classically trained on piano and he played drums. But I don't know if the band survives the way it did, get more of a, a, a second push 
like they did with Sammy Hagar, if Roth is still in that band, because as great as they were with Roth and the swagger they had with Roth, I don't know if they would have been able to maintain that very much longer. Mm-hmm. You know, they peaked when they played the Us Festival in 83. They were the first band to make over a million dollars for one for one performance. And then 84 came out. And because of that Us Festival performance, 84 was 1984 was, was as big as it was. But I think after that, I think you would start a, you, you would have seen a, a downward slope of their popularity because you can't get any more popular than the Us Festival leading into 1984. I mean, that was gigantic back then. You know, that's really interesting because what that did is allow that Roth era to end on an apex. And then all of a sudden it's like a new band. Right. And they didn't call it a new band, but they had the benefit of the brand recognition and it was still Eddie up there. Yeah. I can still watch Eddie play the eruption solo. And a key thing you mentioned about that piano playing roots, like the tapping, like, yeah, there's some percussive nature to it, but he's doing like a keyboard, but on the, it's just brilliant. And then you think of like his early keyboard stuff going back to like on the, uh, women and children, uh, uh, first album with the cradle will yes. rock. And it's that overdriven people think it's a, like a distorted guitar, but it's an overdriven, um, electric piano. And then on the, um, on the the uh the fair warning fair warning what's the crazy synthesizer track on there it's so cool uh, push comes to shove is that it uh saturday or, afternoon in the park maybe? yeah sunday afternoon in the park or saturday afternoon in the park yeah yeah so i'm losing my van halen cred there but um uh incredible sounding analog like I can't believe like some uh, avant-garde hip hop guy hadn't sampled that, but um, and Wolfie uses that on his new album too. That same instrument they used on Fair Warning. Awesome. Uh, so here's something. Um, do you think we have gotten the Van Halen tribute in that it was Wolf playing with um, Grohl and um, Justin? Uh, Hawkins from the Darkness and Josh Freeze on drums in London and Los Angeles. Cause I think that is going to, I think in Wolf's mind from everything he comments, he has made in the press. And I think on social media briefly, I think that was his tribute, not just to um, Taylor Hawkins, but to his dad. Do you think that's the extent we're going to get? I think there's a strong possibility for that. However, kind of reading between the lines and what's been said in the press over the last six months about it. I think if it is going to be revisited and I think if Wolfgang gets on board and I think if a lot of the guys get on board, I think they want a drama free celebration. And the one person that seems to be creating the drama either has to get out of the way or has to fall in line. I don't think, Wolfgang's going to want to focus on a tribute show if it's constant aggravation. I think he's more or less content with, or not content, but motivated to create his own path with what he's doing now. And he's okay if that's what you just said, if that's the tribute. I think he's fine with it, and I think I'm fine with it, too. Yeah, same. I think that was, that was an interesting, but I think if a tribute concert happens, I think David Lee Roth 
is going to have to show up and do what Wolfgang and Alex want him to do rather than get in the way of things. Because I think if he gets in the way and creates issues, I think Wolfgang is just going to be like, you know what? Call me when you get over yourself. I got my own band. I'm working on a new album. I'm more than happy just to continue doing that. So, yeah, I think it's a strong possibility. It could be the end just because of all the issues Roth Roth seems to be creating. I don't know exactly what they are. I don't know if anybody really does, but it just seems like, as Wolfgang said, there's one person that's holding this up. So I know it's not his uncle. And I know Michael Anthony is one of the nicest guys in rock music. And I know Sammy wants to do it. So, you know, do the math. There's, you know, it's like that game of chairs, you know, (laughs) someone's not going to be able to sit on a chair. And I think that's DLR. I think he's got to get, you know, get his ego in check and, and just do it. Just do it for Eddie. Because I think that'll also help Daily Roth. He, you know, he's got these Vegas shows. He's got all these things he wants to do. If he goes out there and becomes a good soldier for once in his life, I think it only benefits him. You, you know, know um, I think. Okay, a couple of thoughts off of that, Jay. Um, I think one thing we need to keep in mind, okay, that Taylor Hawkins tribute, you know, I've just seen the clips from the LA show, but I've watched a whole lot of that London show and it was awesome. It was great. But th- the thing that was different than that, uh, than like it probably would be for Eddie, the Eddie tribute would probably be more like the Freddie Mercury tribute. And the cool and the Taylor tribute was really more like Live Aid. Yes. Because it was all his favorite songs. Yes. And, you know, you, the Foo Fighters did a set of, I don't know, eight songs or whatever it was, six, whatever. But so it was really compelling because it was like a look into Taylor Hawkins's record collection. And all his favorite bands played all his favorite songs and all his favorite players played his favorite songs and his favorite bands so that was really compelling and not just like a bunch of like drummers coming up, a different drummer playing. Let's do 20 different Foo Fighter songs and have, you know, uh, 10 different drummers come up over the night or, you know, that's not nearly as interesting. And so I guess the thing on the Eddie thing and you're talking, <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, to me, the ultimate tribute that I think would be the most triumphant would be do like three nights in Southern California at a awesome, you know, it's got to be in Southern California. Do three nights. Nobody has to travel. And, you know, if he doesn't want to do this, I totally understand it. He's got a great a new band and it's going well and he's so got his own identity but if he wanted to just if and give it all the money to charity three nights at like i don't know somewhere but in southern california but wolfgang on guitar michael anthony on bass alex on drums and sammy singing the whole show and i think do it like the led zeppelin Reunion in, I guess, 2007 in London. That was at the O2. Yes. They rehearsed. It was tight. You know, there wasn't like Led Zeppelin and then like Slash comes up and plays 
how many more times with them. It was tight. It was a good show. And yeah, after that Zeppelin show, some people wanted to do more of them. And Robert Plant apparently didn't. And it was the end. But or even just do one show like that, man, I think that would be more. I know there's a million people who would line up and want to give tribute to the great Eddie Van Halen from some of the guitar players you mentioned and all the all the rock singers, all the rock drummers, all the bass players, keyboarders who love that music. But I'm not sure it would be as special as it deserves, as I think we saw the way Wolfgang slayed that material. Oh, killed it. And how special it was watching him do that. Um, and how much uh, it was just great. Um, and I know he doesn't want to make a career of it and he shouldn't because he's good. Mammoth, that's a good first album. And they'll, you know, that's he had that in the can for like three years. I bet you this next one's going to be a, you know, jump forward. And he had a good start. But if uh, to me, that would be triumphant. Do one to three nights, rehearse the fuck out of it. Uh, Sammy can still sing and he would be a team player and do half DLR era or at least 40%. I bet he would do half. And yeah, all all those people you take, you take the look. I love David Lee Roth songs. I love his vintage performances. He's he could, but you know, by all accounts hinted to in the press, not the easiest guy to get along with and to make something like this big work without weird hiccups that shouldn't be in there. Add to the fact, frankly, the guys doesn't sing the melodies and he's, he, he still tries to sing the high end, but he can't. And he, there, he does. Now, if he was self-aware or in stuck to like lower to mid and adjusted, you know, instead of singing up, just sing it. But he's not, that's not going to happen. So you want, in terms of being a triumphant musical transcendent night, and Wolfgang, you know, he would put together a kick ass set list of like the hits we want to hear, a good chunk of them, but also the coolest album cuts, you know, from those best Roth and Hagar years. I think that would be triumphant. I'm not sure if I want to. If it's going to be better if Nuno, as great as he is, comes out there and plays Mean Streets with, um, you know, I, I'm maybe I'm wrong, and you know if you know it, it, I will tell you this: a high percentage of that Taylor Hawkins, the performances were good. There are a couple of performances that the vocals weren't that good, or you know, but most of them were very, very good. Yeah, I like your idea. A couple points to that. I agree. I think Wolfgang, if he's going to get on board with this, I think he wants aggravation free zone. Yeah. He wants basically, this is what we're going to do. If you have any constructive ideas, let's hear them. But let's do one night, three hours. This is the only change I would do. I do one night, three hours. First hour is a bunch of different guitar players. And then this last two hours is the band that you said, just get up there and rip. Now, if Roth wants to be a part of it, you know, and he can put his ego aside and just be like, all right, Wolfie, what do you want me to do? 
and he'll get up there for half the show and Sammy do half the show. That's probably the ideal situation. But if not, I think Wolfgang, first of all, doesn't owe anybody anything. But if he's going to do this, he wants to do it and and make his dad proud. And he doesn't want to deal with the, you know, because he can just go back to his band. And I think Sammy is a good enough dude to just be like, all right, I'll do it. No problem. But like you said, I think it's Roth doing the issue. But I like the kind of dynamic of different guitar players coming up for the first hour and then them just doing a two-hour set one night at like the Forum. And because the one of the things that made the Zeppelin show what it was, was it was one night. Yeah. And the ticket demand was crazy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that adds to that legacy, that lore of the band. You know, there were the 20,000 people waiting list for that. I mean, people hear that and they're like, man, that's because they're Led Zeppelin. They do the same thing with Van Halen. Man, that's because of Eddie, you know, because it is all about Eddie. So it'll be interesting to see if it happens. I think if it's going to, um, it's either going to have to happen before Wolfgang comes out with this new album that he's working on, or he it, it comes out after. If it gets beyond that two, three year mark, I think it becomes diminished because you got to think of Sammy keeps getting older. Alex keeps getting older. I think if it's going to happen, it's got a, it's got like a two year window at this point. No, that's a good point on the, uh, now, if the, if if the if Sammy was younger and Al were younger, then I would say maybe even the five year anniversary of Ed's passing or uh, his birthday at a you know five people for some reason you know five ten you know how those number anniversaries work they just elevate something sometimes. But yeah, I think you're onto something there, and I would totally settle out of court for one night, an hour of you know these uh, ripping elite guitar players that we all love come pay homage and play their friend and um, you know heroes songs, and then have that you know have Wolf, Sam, Alex, and Mike just tear up a well rehearsed two hour set. I, I think it would be incredible but if it's not to be honest with you the the feeling that i got from watching you know that group play those van halen songs at the taylor tribute that that was a honestly that was enough for me now if we get this other stuff cool but it was special enough that i felt yeah eddie was honored too there i i agree i i I thought the same thing when i was watching the clips that He's honoring Taylor, but also honoring his dad at the same time. And I think Dave Grohl also knew the levity of it as well. And I think that's why you didn't really see Dave Grohl kind of get in the way of the cameras. He kind of stepped back because I think he kind of knew that they were celebrating Taylor, but Wolf Wolfie was having his moment with his dad, you know, at both shows. And I thought that was a credit to Dave to kind of not be at the forefront on that and kind of to stay in the back and just let him rip. And man, does he have the chops? He does. Absolutely. Oh man. And you know, we're talking Van Halen here, but talk about a team player, Dave Grohl, like when he, in the London performance, when Wolfgang's playing the hot for teacher intro and, um, you know, they cut the camera cuts briefly to Grohl and he's like, kind of like, 
hunch bending over with his base hanging. He's chewing his gum and smiling, you know, just like I'm watching the coolest thing right here. You know, uh, this guy, Eddie Van Halen, being channeled through his son, who's a hell of a musician and who is a very likable person, too, from having interviewed him. But um, uh, so, yeah, um, I think what do you think that, um, you know, what impact do you think Eddie Van Halen will have on this, you know, kind of upcoming crop of, you know, guitar bands that are have got some you know because when someone passes you know even if people casually like them or whatever they tend to um uh maybe go back and study that stuff more like i wouldn't be surprised if like you know maybe you saw the guy from uh Greta Van Fleet or the guy from Dirty Honey play a tapping solo in one of their songs on their next album. Maybe not the whole thing, but like a little run. I, I think, or maybe, or maybe it'll be more in that songwriting vein of like more poppy, making hard rock poppy. I mean, that's, that was, that was besides Eddie's virtuosity and the fun. I mean, that was Van Halen's superpower was making hard rock poppy and not feel forced. Couple thoughts on that because I think it's a great question. I've mentioned this before on the show. I read an article several years ago about how certain rock bands just fade off and are more or less forgotten about. Yeah. And they focus the story on Van Halen. Is Van Halen one of those bands that as each year passes, less and less of the appreciation is there because, you know, they're not putting their music in movies. They're not putting their music in commercials and say whatever you want about Zeppelin and the stones and some of these other bands, they do that because it keeps them current with the generation. And Van Halen has always been one of those bands that never really did that. They did that in the eighties with a lot of, like I said, the pop culture movie stuff, but I think it had a lot to do with Eddie being sick that they really moved away from doing that. And now with Wolfgang really focusing on his band, I don't know if there's anyone really to keep that going. Now with his passing, I believe that out of something bad, something good always happens. And I think the good in his passing is a resurgence in the pre in the appreciation of the band who they were and the music they made and his guitar playing because you now you see, if you want go on YouTube and you type in eruption live, there's that great 5150 video of him just playing. And there's some old bootleg footage of him playing, but there are dozens and dozens of reaction videos of young people awesome. of listening to the stuff and just mouths dropping while they're, while they're watching this. So I think, the, the beginnings of a resurgence in Van Halen is going to come through that. Now, will they be that band that starts doing box sets for anniversary editions and doing all these things to maintain their, their relevancy? That's yet to be seen. But I think the groundwork has been laid with his passing and a reintroduction to his playing. Now, on your second part of your question with the guitar players that are coming up in emerging bands, I think there is definitely a chance to, for that to happen. However, 
when you talk Page and when you talk Hendrix, you're talking about blues-based guitar players. You're talking about the same formula within their playing. And yes, there's always a different approach, but it's still the same formula. Eddie had his own formula. And for a guitar player to tackle that, to go after that mountain, to climb that mountain, it's intimidating. Especially if you're used to playing one way and trying to do things that are similar to him. I think it's it's going to take a guitar player who's extremely competent and extremely comfortable with the player that he is to allow himself to do that. Because, you know, once you do that, because you got to remember, and I'm sure I know you do. You're anytime you play live, that performance nine times out of 10 is going to end up on YouTube. You know, John Notto plays Van Halen. Blake Allard from Joyous Wolf plays Van Halen. This guitar plays Van Halen. That guitarist plays Van Halen. And as soon as that video hits, you are under an intense microscope because the Eddie Van Halen fans are rabid. They are one of the things like to get back to Wolfgang is we kind of pause with us and say everyone. I think every Eddie Van Halen fan who wasn't at the show held their breath during those songs. And then when he was over, let out a, you know, an exhale and went like, damn. That was fucking perfect. So if you're going to play Eddie, you're going to play like Eddie, you better do it right or just don't even attempt it. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it's a, it's a tall mountain to climb. Once you start doing the, the tapping and all that stuff, people's ears perk up and they sit there with a judgmental eye. And if you, you know, mess it up or if you don't do it right, you're going to get shredded online and social media. Yeah, I think it would be a thing where they have to like kind of pepper it into their style where and do their own little subtle t- uh, tweak on it. Like, um, Blackberry Smoke did it. I went and saw Blackberry Smoke and they peppered it, they peppered it in Mean Streak or Mean Street rather, um, in one of their live performances. And I'm sitting there watching and like, you know, Charlie Starr is playing the riff. I'm like, I know that riff. I know that riff. Oh, that's that's Mean Street by Van Halen, and they kind of did a couple bars of it and a couple of the uh, of the of the lyrics, and then they kind of went in the right into one of their songs. So they did it. They did it the right way. Like you know, first of all, Charlie didn't do the intro. You know why? Why are you going to do that to yourself? You're just asking for grief at that point. But they did it right. Like you said, they peppered it in a song, and they got away with it because it was good. It was different, and they moved on to their own song. I think you'll see some things like that. Yeah. Like, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, GNR on their next tour works up a cover of a classic Van Halen song. Or how about this? A guitar player combining, like, I always thought, uh, like, combining tapping and slide. It would be, maybe couldn't do it for like a 40 minute, uh, 40 second solo, but something that kind of takes his special um technique and maybe puts a little twist but but still kind of classic i don't know i think there's still some room there to be done but um i think, I think the, go ahead i think the legacy of eddie as we move on is not so much going to be in what the with the new emerging bands i think it's the generation after that mm. okay and I think it's going to be more of the custom building of guitars. I love that. That's a great. I, 
I think that's what's going to be the legacy of of him because they're like, well, he played like, well, he built his own guitar, like, like, and they're like, how do you do that? And of course, now you've got everything at your fingertips. You can learn how to do stuff and how to solder and how to do all these things. You know, just go on a YouTube video and how do you solder? How do you do this? <laughs> you know, and I think as young kids get into guitar playing and they learn about Eddie and they learn that he's not such, you know, not not only a great guitar player probably one of the best ever if not the best there's also the fact that outside of les paul you know he was in, in you know he was the last one to you know really build a guitar and do that and develop a guitar he's got his own guitar brand right now because of that and they can look like you said on youtube how to solder but also then get on the internet order the parts and also a key thing about eddie was um yes he had this cool technique and not just tapping in the other tricks he did, but uh, you know, the awesome riffs and combining of riffs and chords and, uh, but also the sound. When you heard that tone, you knew it was Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, a lot of that was him tweaking his instrument to, and his gear to find that tone he was chasing in his ear. And some other kid will do that and find the, the tone they're chasing in their ear and combined with the riffs they're coming up with, and it'll all of a sudden it'll be the you know when you're talented enough and you know the sound is good enough and the songs are good enough and they have the good enough cats around them that are also awesome. But like, yeah, that's a great insight. I love that that some kid out there will build uh, their version of Frankenstein someday and. Slay the world with it. I can't wait for it. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of that tone he created was by mistake. It was by accident. And I think that's just a product of experimentation, you know, and a, and a, and a product of just going in and not knowing where. He, I'm sure he didn't know what he was doing at certain points, you know, like, like he was just like, all right, let me try this, see if this works. And then knocking the electricity out at his house because he plugged something in wrong. I think it was uh european or from the uk and he plugged it in and blew the fuse so he had to go get this module that would help him and that module changed the tone so there's also that but anytime you're working on something and experimenting that's a product of what happens like oh i stumbled on this by accident i meant something to be this but it became that and you know when you watch when a young kid watches eruption and his mouth drops like how's he doing that and then he starts to he starts to learn the history of Eddie and what he meant to be being a luthier. He's probably the most well known luthier of all time. Then they're like, well, yeah. So they're going to go buy like this cheap guitar and trick it out and add, you know, these these uh, uh, pickups and this these you know this head right here. You know, take this head from the guitar and put it on here and put it all together and we'll see what it sounds like. I think I I'm really interested to see where guitar is because of his legacy and his passing 10 years from now, 15 years from now. I love that. And, you know, in terms of like archival stuff, like say uh, three years from now or four years, whenever, you know, uh, say Wolf has got, you know, uh, a couple more uh, mammoth albums under his belt and tours and that's going great. And he has some, you know, wants to chill at home maybe for a few months or something. And, or, and, you know, if they reissued, like if they not reissued, but if they release like a, a, 
really sharp recording of an early Van Halen performance, like back in the club days at the whiskey or wherever, like, um, I have like a, there's a radio show from right before when the first album came out that they were, that is a non-official release on vial. It's incredibly awesome. And there's something out there they could do. And then all of a sudden people will go again, like, Oh man. Yeah. It wasn't just eruption. It wasn't just um, him putting stripes on his guitar. Listen to this, the, the hot plane and just the, going for it and a key thing that we need to touch on here um, before maybe a couple more kind of wrap-up points is you know the cover band time he learned all these guys licks all their techniques all their songwriting moves and that's important because you're learning a language and you can't break the rules until you learn them really you great can break point. them, but, but you're not going to produce great results. Absolutely. He, he learned all those Black Sabbath songs, freaking like probably. Budgie. He was learning Budgie songs. Budgie songs. Um, ZZ Top, probably. I think at one point Roth had them learn. I don't know if it was like disco or like R&B, but, you know, so that that's, I think, something people need to take and learn from Eddie Van Halen is – Learn all the building blocks, man. Learn all the moves. Learn all the um I remember one time I worked with uh a girl in media and she's was talking, you know, those like uh keyboard moves like control S or control O or something. She's like, that's like learning a new guitar chord. So yeah. learn, learn, you know, learn, learn that there's a reason there are tribute bands. It's because those songs were very good and they move people. So learn, learn. Yeah. There's old bootlegs of them playing Tush, playing, um, um, play that, is it play that funky music? I think they, there's a, there's a bootleg out of them or they used to play a Casey and a Sunshine band. I think, I think was the, uh, was the, awesome. uh, I bet that was incredible. Yeah, you could you could find that stuff on YouTube. It's really cool from like the club days. But they but Roth said that they were, you know, really into playing covers because like you said, they learned that language. They learned those songs. They learned how to perform with those songs. And Bottoms Up, which is on Van Halen 2, is essentially a ZZ Top tribute song. I mean, it's it's basically because Eddie loved Billy Gibbons. And listen to Bottoms Up and listen to you know, tush and listen to all that ZZ Top stuff. And you're like, wow, yeah, that is basically it's a ZZ Top song. But I want two things from Van Halen. Um, I want anniversary box sets like they do, like these anniversary editions. And I want like what Led Zeppelin did with How the West Was Won. Mm-hmm. I want those live performances somehow released, you know, different eras from the Sammy era, from the Roth era, from the club days. All that stuff remastered. Those are those are the two things I want, and you know I want that more than the tribute show, because to me those albums and that music mean so much to me that it deserves that type of format. Those kind of archival vault releases, particularly live things like how the West was one Zeppelin reference you made, I think because then 
that's Eddie telling his story on his instrument, not his as great as his, um, you know, f- the people that followed in his wake and how many great players and it turned out to be great players on their own that idolized him playing a cover song at a show and at the forum. It's this amazing performer, amazing musician, amazing songwriter, amazing luthier, amazing mad scientist, the guy borrowing your um, wrench to work on his hot rod. It's him, his music, him speaking through his instrument and his music. And I think people would love it. And I think it would just like, you know, you think of some of those archival uh, vault releases have become classics for us rock fans. I think that it would surely happen. And I, I would be, you know, I think, I think that stuff will come. You know, I think so too. I, I think as fans, it's exciting to see Wolfgang develop his own career and his own music. And I get really upset when I see some of these fans play Panama, play all this stuff, you know, on, on social media, because I, I think he's in a situation sometimes where he can't win. Because if he if he plays Van Halen, there's going to be the crowd that goes, "Oh, he's living, he's living off of his dad's coattails," where he's adamantly telling you that he wants to develop his own career, which is what we want, right? I mean, we don't want a kid to come along and live off of his dad's legacy. We want him to do his own music, and his music is great. And I look forward to his new album. I can't wait for it. Sure. So, but you know, you play a Van Halen song. Let's say you appease those fans, which I don't think he should. But you appease those fans hypothetically, and then they come out. You should do a Van Halen tribute album of you playing all your dad's tracks. So it's always going to be the goalposts that are getting moved for him. And I think he's in a no-win situation like that. And that's why he comes out after some of these people, like, "Hey, leave me alone. Let me make my own music. If you don't like my music, that's fine. But I'm going to continue to do this." And I think that's what he should be doing. And like you said, his music's good. He's had success with it. Um, he's got respect, um, and from his peers and his heroes for his music. And, um, another thing you got to remember with Wolf is, you know, um, internet plus anonymity equals assholes. And he has been dealing with that since he was a teenager and yeah. came to base just in Van Halen, the shit talking on the message boards before, you know, like social media is big and like um, the, you know, and think of going through that as a teenager and that sticks with you, man. And that those scars, uh, I mean, this is a person, this is a kid. This is, you know, Van Halen probably would have, you know, Eddie all of a sudden got to play with his son. You know, and, you know, uh, and people are such, and people talk about nepotism and stuff. The kid is talented. The kid could play, he can shred now. And there's a good chance we wouldn't have gotten those Van Halen tours without, um, Wolfgang being in the band as incentive for his dad to want to do them, frankly, probably from what I've read. Yeah. And, and as we, it's a great kind of point to wrap up on because there's, that video footage of in the, in the video distance that Wolfgang put out. Yeah. There's that part where he's on one end of the stage during a sound check and his dad is on the other end and his uncle is playing in the center. And I said this when he first passed and I said this last and last year's episode, 
that to me is such a moving moment because here's this guy, the common guy that he was, the neighbor guitar, great, the the neighborhood guitar God, you can call him, or the common man guitar guy. Yeah. Playing with his brother, who he lived in this small house in Pasadena, and they had this piano in the living room and you couldn't fit anything else. Rising to stardom, rising to this level that they never could have imagined. And then looking off to his right and seeing his son on or in the band that he's always been in, that rose to that stardom. And I wonder how many times Eddie would be playing and look back at his brother and look at his son and just be overwhelmed with like, I can't believe this. You know, this is so special to me. So that is such a a moment in that video where that Wolfgang put in there that pretty much says it all, right? And it was always about family. Sammy Hagar talks about the language that him and his brother would use. This, I don't know, yeah, yeah, this different this this Dutch language or whatever. They would swear at each other, and they would be so fired up with each other. But they, they were so close. They were so tight as brothers, and really throughout his career. Family has meant everything to Eddie over and over again. There's been examples of it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is such a defining moment in that video and the defining moment for the first single for Wolfgang to, to release, because he's like, Hey, this is my dad. He may be this guitar guy. And I understand he's this guitar guy, but at the end of the day, I was able to play on stage with my dad. So stop giving me shit. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And, um, you know, I guess I'll kind of wrap up with this, Jay, is I think Eddie Van Halen, you know, the great thing about him, the lessons that everyone should take from him, like his musicians at band is, you know, be yourself, you know, one of a kind, unique. I mean, Eddie Van Halen had a musical personality and a style. Um, be as good as you can, push yourself try to um, expand your plane and expand what you do or even whatever you do in life, you know? Um, So those two things, be yourself, expand what you do, push, be the best you can be. And thirdly, don't take yourself too damn seriously. You know, that smile, that uh, working on the guitar on the bench instead of sending it off to the, you know, hundreds of hours, uh, dollars an hour, you know, repairman to the stars. Like, um, I think those three things that just made you besides the brilliant musicianship and creativity, but, uh, so unique. And it's like, we got to, you know, see Jordan play basketball in real time. We got to enjoy Eddie Van Halen's music in real time. And what a, Perfectly said. Good blessing, man. I want to end on this. I am still feeling the connection to Van Halen, and these weird things keep happening. I've often <laughs> told the story of my mother's phonograph in the living room. Being at home one day, I think I was picked up from kindergarten. My brother was in grade school at the time, and I knew he had the Van Halen 1 record in his room. And I was seven years old. And I'm like, I got to listen to it because everybody in the neighborhood keeps talking about Van Halen. And I don't know what this band was. It was like 1981, 82. And I snuck in the room. My mom was cleaning the house. I took off the Barry Manilow record that she had on. 
and I put Van Halen one on. And I instinctively knew to put headphones in the jack of the phonograph. And I was mesmerized, and the rest is history. So this past week, I asked my mom if she what she did with that phonograph that she had. And she goes, it's still in the basement. It's downstairs. I said, you're kidding me. The one, you know, I just, you know, I described it like the one that you had in the, when I was a kid, she's like, yeah, I go, you still got the speakers too. Cause the speakers were incredible. She's like, yeah, I go, I want that. I go, when I, you know, cause I've had this, this health issue here for the past month. I said, when I recuperate, that's going to be my project. I'm going to get it refurbished. I'm going to get the needle change. I'm going to clean it up. He's like, she's like, why do you want it so bad? And I go, that's the first phonograph. That's the first thing I ever played Van Halen on. Mm-hmm. I want that because it means so much to me. And she's like, oh, I'm like, you don't have no idea. Because I still remember that moment, putting my feet up on the furniture with the big headphones, hearing eruption and going, what the hell is that? What is that? What is that? What's that instrument? And the fact that she still has it and the fact that I'm, and the first album that I will play on it once it's refurbished will be Van Halen one. Amazing. I can't top that, man. Yeah. So I, I, that was, yeah. I mean, that was just like, you're, you still have this? Where is it? <laughs> like, you know, I was just, I got, I got, I went like, I was like gleeful. Like, you know, I'm like, I can't believe you have it. I'm like, that's mine. You know, I, I go, I, I will get it fixed. I will refurbish it. I will do whatever it takes to make it sound like it sounded back in the day. And that photograph is from like 1968, 1970. It sounded amazing. So that's going to be my project here till the end of the year. And then once I get that, I'm going to order a Van Halen one first edition off Discogs and uh, knock myself out. Amazing. And then what a, a spectacular, cool story. And think of how many millions and millions and millions of other people had that experience. What the hell is that? Listening to eruption and having their, that supersonic sound blow their minds and make them love rock and roll. Well, uh, Jay, this has been fun as hell, man. Thanks for having me. Matt, it's been a blast, man. This conversation didn't know where it was going to go, but we celebrated Eddie like we should have. I like because it's different than what we did with Greg last year. And as we continue this every year, I hope that these episodes are as good as this one. The conversation is as good as this one. And they each take on a life of their own like this, like this one did too as well. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Jay. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Eddie Van Halen. Yes, thank you, Eddie. Everyone, this has been our second dedication episode to Eddie Van Halen since his passing, since the anniversary of his passing. The guest has been Matt Wake. The conversation's been great. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 